I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Are you sick of your day job? Do you have a bit of a dream to do something on your own terms? You know, live that life on your own terms. You always talk about it, loot. Well, today, John Pigeon is interviewing a good friend of the podcast, Tim. Now, Tim started his own microbrewery. It's not the first business venture that he's done, but I want you to use this episode as encouragement that if you are working that nine to five and you've got that itch to do your own thing, well, you can get started. You can listen to Tim's story, see how he did it, what he's learned along the way. So it is a bit of a my millennial story, but a bit of a tilt towards starting your own business, doing your own thing. And most importantly, if you love beer, and John certainly loved this stuff, about starting your own microbrewery and making your own craft beer, you're in for a treat with this one. Now, we can't do our Thursday show episodes without Global X. Global X doesn't just offer ETFs that you can invest in. They also provide a heap of insights, videos, and reports to educate you as you invest. They've just released their Australian ETFs landscape report. Head to globalxetfs.com.au forward slash MMM to download your copy and learn about what's happening out there right now. Thank you to Global X. Remember, if you hear the word ETF, link it to Global X. They brought the podcast to you today. Now let's hand it over to John Pigeon, host of the My Millennial Property Show, co-host here on My Millennial Money, and our good friend Tim, who's going to walk you through how he started a microbrewery, what led up to that, his history. Enjoy it, guys. And hey, if you do find our podcast on balance of benefit, would love if you could jump on, give us a follow if you aren't already, and make sure if you do like it, give us a little five-star review. Would really appreciate that. Helps us get the podcast out there. All right, that's it from me. Over to you, John and Tim. Tim, welcome to the show. Thanks, John. You've got a story to tell, my friend. You have started three, four businesses over the journey, all with great success. Tell us how it all started for you. Um, I guess... How far do we want to go back? (laughs) Well, yeah. Well, I know you as co-director or co-owner of Flower & Co, which is a local coffee shop here. And every time I go there, it is booming with uh, numbers out the door. So you're doing something right there. And you've most recently started Goons Brewing, which is – and and two of these uh, delicacies that appeal to me, coffee and beer, right, (laughs) in in moderation. But back before then, you had a – I suppose, an interest in, in media? Yeah, so I worked for close to 10 years in television production. So I worked for like uh, brands such as Red Bull, World Surf League, did some stuff at Sky Racing, I guess big media, big media houses. Worked for a lot of small media houses too. I was a producer, an editor, basically you name it, I did it. I worked up from the bottom and that was where I thought my career was going to be forever. Um, and then during that time, I always had a side hustle. I always had something else going on to scratch my itch, I guess, to be the boss. Like 
whenever I worked for these other companies, no matter how great your idea was or how confident you were in what you were creating for someone, there was always a client pulling back that idea and toning it back a bit and you're never really completely in control because at the end of the day, they're always paying the bills. Yeah. So, yeah. so I guess the very first proper venture I started that went rather well was a magazine. Mm-hmm. So started a, a magazine called The North Journal with a, my best mate at the time, still my best mate. Um, and he's a designer, I was a writer and we created this publication for our community on the Northern Beaches. And it was just a storytelling publication and mm. we did that for five years, 20 issues and that really showed me that I could create something. Okay, great. So a lot of our listeners uh, have the the itch to scratch in respect to a side hustle. Sounds as though the, the first one, firstly and foremost, was maybe a, a passion or an interest of yours. Do you think that that's a key criteria? Yes, because you're not going to make money from it straight away. So you need to be able to willing to work on it every day and possibly not make a cent for a while. So if you're not passionate about it, you're probably not going to excel at it and you're not going to keep driving through when times get tough and trying to find money to make that passion happen. Sure. How did you go from that full-time job in media to saying, well, we're going to start this hustle on the side that navigating through quitting your full-time job to actually have enough money to put food on the table and, and how difficult was it? I think I just scaled my work back. So I think when I started the magazine, I may have been full-time at Sky Racing and then there was an opportunity there to scale back and become a contractor, uh-huh. so like a freelancer. So I did that and then I was able to freelance for other media houses too and then I guess there's no greater motivator than just quitting your job and then you have to make it work. You just have to make it work. Whereas yeah. if you, if I had have personally held on to that really great full-time job, I would have been time poor, but there's money in the bank yeah. and it's like the security blanket. You're not really pushing yourself. You're in your comfort zone. Yeah. But yeah. by really taking that leap of faith and not showing where rent's going to come from, then you're just forced to find work. Yeah. And there's yeah. work out there. Like I remember taking extra side jobs like packing boxes in a factory just to make sure that I had rent, Yeah, you know, when those media jobs weren't coming in. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So sitting in your comfort zone, still working your full-time job, trying to get a side hustle off the ground, mm. you're saying has a low percentage of, of return if in terms of effort put in. Uh, if you're a teacher out there or a nurse, you might go part-time or casual or whatever it is to, to sort of give, you not, give yourself enough time and a bit of a scare factor almost to, to make it work. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And also taking up jobs in different fields, like I ended up packing boxes. Um, you're also dealing with people that are outside your normal scope. And I think you learn so much from doing that and like taking on other jobs outside of maybe your career because your career is usually something you've been doing for a long time. It's very comfortable. Once you start working elsewhere, um, that's when you start really learning what maybe you're good at, what you're bad at, what you need to improve on. And that can help you if you're starting a business. Talk to us about maybe someone that's sitting there wanting to create financial wealth is working in nine to five, maybe their their income's reasonably capped, uh, maybe adjusted to CPI, but hasn't really got that entrepreneurial mindset. But everyone around them saying, start a side hustle, start a business, 
what would you say to those type of people? Because by the sounds of it, you had a bit of entrepreneurial mindset in you to begin with. I think my advice would be is to get out of your comfort zone and maybe start thinking, hey, like what if one day a week I went and worked in a coffee shop? You may be a school teacher Monday to Friday. And then what if Saturday mornings I had to go do six hours every morning in a coffee shop? Think about the people you're going to meet in that coffee shop, the networking possibilities, the people you're going to work with, maybe your employer there. That's where inspiration comes from. And that's when maybe all of a sudden you think, hey, I just met so-and-so at the coffee shop. They're doing this. Maybe I can do that. Yeah, I love it. Okay. And, and you spend that time and it, and it pushes you or motivates you to say, oh, I can do this myself, or at least it gives you the knowledge and the uh, reinforcement that, hang on, this is just not for me and I'm, I'm actually quite content with my nine to five. That's exactly it. You can work it out. Yeah. And you can't, uh, you don't think something's possible until you kind of see it. So yeah. if you see someone, I've had so many great mentors along the way, and that's from me just being alongside those people and saying, oh, wow, like, look, look what they're doing. That's for me. Or maybe that's not for me. Yeah, I love it. This is a selfish question for me, um, but I'm sure the, the, the owners will get, uh, the, the listeners will get some benefit from it. I, I mentioned before about you being the, the co-owner of Flower & Co, a uh, coffee shop here locally on the coast at Twoon Bay, being so busy all the time. Uh, I was there this morning yep. uh, having a beautiful almond latte. What's the key to making that work so well when there's plenty of coffee shops around, there's one, three doors up, like why, why is yours so busy? Um, community. Something I realised when I was making that uh, magazine kind of newspaper I was doing, the North Journal, what I was super passionate about was connecting with my community. So that's when I tapped into that something that I was passionate about. When we started Flower & Co, I was really confident that I could connect with the community. So I was working six days a week. So was my wife and her dad, co-owners, um, and we just made connections with the community. And it took a long time. People always say, oh, you're so busy there, you're so busy there. But I'm like, yeah, it's taken seven years. Yeah. Um, those first couple of years, we weren't always that busy. Um, but just being there, being present, talking, getting to know people and creating connections. And I think that's now why the shop is so busy is because we've made those connections over years and years and years. And it was hard work. Mm. And now I'm at a point where I don't need to be there seven days a week. No. I've got a great team. We've built the most amazing team. Like my staff are everything. Mm. I'm only as good as my staff around me. And those staff have those same values. I just employ people that have those same community values. And I think that's more important than skills. Yeah. Like you, you can teach people how to make coffee. Yeah. You can't teach someone how to connect with their community. No, yeah, very good point. And, and a litmus test in a coffee shop is how quickly can you find your loyalty card in the box? <laughs> and for me, I can never find it. So that, that's a good, a good <laughs> test. But you, you mentioned about, yeah, everyone can make a coffee not everyone can gel with the community and the customers and everything else. And that's personality. And sometimes you can't change someone's personality or the ability to, to connect. How, for the business owners out there listening, how do you go choosing those people when you get 24 applications mm. and, and they've all got cover letters and they all look fantastic and then they all tell you, yeah, I'm, I'm a great people person. How do you shortlist that? That has taken years for me to learn. That, that's been the biggest hurdle. Um, I've had so many great resumes come in over the years 
And then what they put on their resume is not always exactly reality. Mm. And we've probably all done it. We've all, all talked ourselves up on a resume or a yeah. cover letter. So now I don't really look at resumes. When I get a resume, I appreciate if someone's come in and spoken to me, but I always set up a coffee meeting. So mm. uh, myself and my wife, Grace, will always sit down with a potential employee and to be honest, they're a bit taken aback by our questions because we start asking them what they do in their spare time. Mm -hmm. We ask them what their interests are. We ask them what their values are. And from that, we can scope if they're the right fit for what we're after. Yeah. And what is it that you're after? What, if you had three, three words, what would they be? What, what's your mission statement? I guess someone who has a passion outside of work. So someone who has something they're striving for, whether that be university, um, art, music, surfing. I really, when someone starts talking to me about something they're passionate about and they light up, I immediately know they're going to be a good fit. Yeah. Um, and to be honest, that's probably number one. Mm. As long as they have something else, because the reality is a lot of young people are not coming to my place, like a cafe, for a career. Yeah. So I want them to be coming to us and enjoy work, but I want to know that they've got something else going on. Mm, they so, got a passion. Yeah, yeah, passion, yeah. Yeah, they believe in something. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, so let's fast forward to now or, or maybe this, this uh, part of your life where you decided, yeah, look, I'm, I, I enjoy coffee. My business is humming along pretty well, uh, but I've also got a fascination for uh, creating and brewing beer. Tell us about how that started. Um, so two of my good mates, we do a lot of surf trips away together. We were on a surf trip and Tom pulled out some beers as you do around the fire um, after a big day of surfing. And then Tom started telling us how his mate was the brewer at this brewery, Molten Hops up in Beresfield. Um, I guess my interest, I've learnt more about myself and I guess my entrepreneurial side and I've learnt that I love building and creating things businesses, ideas. So I immediately started posing questions to the boys, I wonder how hard that is. I wonder how hard that is to build a, a beer brand. Um, I then we kind of talked about it back and forth and within a week we'd bought this like Rolls Royce of homebrew kits. Quickly worked out that Alex and I were no good at brewing beer and that it was going to be up to Tom. Tom uh, has worked in the kitchen at Flower Co. He's great with recipes um, and he basically over the last two years became obsessed with brewing. Um, and then from there, we chatted to Trent Whitehead, graphic designer, who I've worked a lot with before on other projects and kind of brought him in and said, hey, Trent, thinking about starting this brand, what do you think? And it's just really escalated. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so you go from like a most sort of uh, half entrepreneurs do and that enjoy beers, they get their home kit and think, yeah, this, this tastes great and they invite their friends around and they think it tastes like crap and, uh, and then uh, <laughs> they try and refine their uh, skills and then yeah. in the end probably give up. But you've gone from, okay, you realise that you're not the one that's going to be doing the brewing. Yeah. You've identified one in the team that has a bit of a passion and a, and a knack for it and sometimes that can't yeah. be quantified as to how that happens but it does. Uh, where do you go from there? So I guess I started um, looking at the market. So I started looking at the Central Coast. And I guess when I look at the Central Coast, because I've only been here for seven years, 
when I look around Central Coast, I just see so much opportunity. I just think it's such an amazing place, amazing people. I wish I came here sooner. Mm. Um, leaving Sydney's Northern Beaches, I see a lot of similarities to Sydney's Northern Beaches, very community-focused area. Uh, I saw that there's only really um, four well-established breweries on the Central Coast in a very big area. I looked at Newcastle, I looked at Northern Beaches. There's a new brewery opening every week, yet we have four. Mm. Um, there's none on the north end of the Central Coast. So I just saw a gap in the market. I thought to myself, what is what is a, a beer company? Well, a massive part of it, which gets overlooked a lot, is hospitality. I was like, well, I've got seven years hospitality experience. I know how to build a hospitality business. That's where all your profit is, um, is in your tap room. So I just started, I guess, seeing more and more gaps in the market that I thought we could possibly fill. And it's just grown that idea until we eventually, it took two years to get to market. And I guess that leads us to us today. We've been out for six months. We've got two beers out and it's kind of starting to pick up some momentum. Great. Okay. We're going to take a break and after the break, Tim's going to share how we got that beer to be on the table and myself drinking that at 5.50am one morning after a, a nice old swim. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. Hey Dave. Yeah Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear and t-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. So... I turned up one morning after a swim and out came a six-pack of, of Goon's beers. Yep. And to your surprise, we actually drank them on the spot and <laughs> we're like, hang on, boys, this actually tastes all right. You're, you're obviously, you've got to create vats, you've got, to, you've got to have a complex, you've got to have a whole heap of equipment and a whole heap of outlay to be able to go and do that. Now, you're, mm. to my knowledge, not at that stage yet. So what did you do in the interim to be able to get something to the table? So at the moment, we're what they call gypsy brewers. Right. So after a lot of research, I learned that it's going to cost like half a million dollars to build a brewery. Don't have half a million dollars. Um, but what I was keen to do was get something to market and see if the Central Coast responded. Because then if we were to get something to market and could see how it responded, if it failed, it's all good. We failed quickly. Can it? Move on to my next idea. Mm-hmm. So 
probably cost us about $15,000 to get everything up and going. Like that first run, we called up maybe 10 breweries and said, hey, can we come brew in your brewery? So that way it's all, that's the legalities of it. You need to be brewing in a licensed facility. It's all up to, you know, health and food standards okay. and all the licensing. So you're essentially renting a space there exactly. and, and using their vats and yep. which would mean they'd need to clean their batch out before you put yours in. Otherwise you've got a, a combination of a few different beers. Exactly. And I've also learned that brewing's like 95% cleaning right. um, when we've gone in for brew days. Um, so yeah, we eventually found a brew. It's actually a lot harder than I thought to find someone that we could brew with. Mm. Um, it is really common. There's a lot of beers on the shelves that are what they call gypsy or contract brewed. Right. Um, there's a lot of brands that don't own breweries. Um, so yeah, we had a crack. Tom had this recipe that he'd been working on for two years. We were pretty confident in that recipe. Took that recipe down to a brewery in Brookvale who said they could fit us in. Mm. And we had a crack. We brewed 2,000 litres, which is super scary. That's yeah. like, that's 10 grand worth of beer. And um, that's a lot of money for three guys with not much money. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. So I think you've answered that, but yeah. did you go out and source any funding at this stage or was it just out straight out of your own pocket? No, completely self-funded. We thought that if we could sell all that beer, then we would make enough money to make the next batch of beer and then sell all that beer and hoping it would be like a domino effect where yeah. it could basically start paying for itself. Um, then we made that first batch and I thought, right, we've got no marketing budget. We've got no money left over to market this. How are we going to do it? I was like, well, the cafe is a great way to start talking about it. Mm. So I guess through the cafe, I just started talking about it. Some free samples went out to some people and the word kind of spread. And then we did a deal with a local independent bottle shop to be our kind of exclusive stockist. Yeah, I noticed them in there the other day. So... Up until this stage, what would you say are your, are your key learnings and, and maybe what would you have done differently? For someone over in Perth that's wanting to start their own brewery, uh, what, what would you have done differently up to this stage? Well, to save more capital, realise that it's super capital heavy. So you do need quite a lot of money, even just a gypsy brew. Probably would have had more of a game plan as far as like how many beers we are going to release, how quick that turnaround time that t the turnaround time is long you you go and brew something if you're brewing lagers they could they could be in a tank for six weeks right so there's a lot of like time downtime mm. so learning that timing um summer is a big one now learned that you'll sell more more beer in november december january than probably the next six months okay and when did you launch we very luckily launched uh october okay but we ran out of beer <laughs> by november you don't want to run out of beer. No, and we ran out of beer three times before Christmas, which is um, something I learned that we should have had probably like quadruple the amount of beer. Um, I just didn't know it was going to be that popular. Yeah, well, you don't. You, you, it's a stab in the dark to say let's yeah. let's be a little bit conservative yeah. and, and don't stick our neck out too far. As you said, if, if these sell, then fantastic, let's brew some more. Mm. But then you've got consumers waiting and say, oh, hang on, I want to order some. Where are they? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was, a it, was really, it was really scary because I guess I felt a bit of a um, responsibility to the other business partners because I kind of felt like I was the one pushing for this mm -hmm. and I was like, well, they haven't ever been a part of a startup before. Yeah. Whereas for me, it's, it was the third or fourth time I'd 
started something new. Yes. So it wasn't as scary for me. No. So I did feel a lot of responsibility. Yeah. And, and for all three of you, correct me if I'm wrong, but you've all got other incomes coming in. You haven't just quit your day job and said, let's go and start a brewery. Yeah. We, we've all got other incomes, which I think is super important. Yeah. Uh, that was like, I've done a lot of research with other breweries, whether it be through podcasts, articles, and that was something that came through was like, keep your day job yeah. because it's all about scale and yeah. um, it can take a while before you see those profits. So which is contrary to what we were saying earlier, it was like, okay, you've got to actually stick your neck out and, and go casual or part-time <laughs> in the event to make your side hustle work. But brewing a beer and starting a brewery is a little bit of a different beast. Yeah, it is. And we all have flexible jobs. So that that's a really big one. Obviously myself at the cafe, I'm there like four to four to five days a week and I can shuffle those shifts around if I need to do beer deliveries and okay. and the bo- other boys are in a similar uh, boat where they've kept jobs that are, allow flexibility for the side job. Sure. So if you're in an elevator with someone and, and they say, what do you do? Say, well, I've got my own beer. I brew my own beer. It's, it's, uh, it's Goons Brewing. What's your difference? What what's your market? What's your niche? I suppose because the craft beer mm. is just a phenomenon at the moment. Like mm. it's just going off its head in terms of how many craft beers there are available right now. Yeah. So I believe from the research I've done that people are drinking beer from the region they're in. So I believe that Goons Brewing can be one of the leading breweries on the central coast to start with, and then we'll see where it goes from there. But our, our three year plan is to get this brewery cranking on the Central Coast and be focused on the Central Coast, okay. a regional beer company, as opposed to someone, as soon as you say beer company, everyone just says Balta, yeah. Stone and Wood. Yeah. They were not regional beer companies. They were big big beer companies with a lot of investment behind them with um, plans to scale. So I did a little bit of research this morning, which is unusual for me. <laughs> Five beer makers own more than 50% of the world's beer. Mm. And Heineken, Carlsberg and Abin Bev, is it, that are one, two and three, no particular order. Is, is your goal to be able to sell out to one of the big boys like Mick Fanning? Uh, mm. I think he did that in a pretty yeah. successful way. Yeah, so they sold to Carlton. Um, which is owned by a Japanese company. Same with Lion. See, that's the other thing is our two biggest companies here are Lion and Carlton, mm. both who are owned by Japanese yeah. companies. Asahi? Asahi yeah. and Kieran. So okay. both, both are owned, foreign owned. With that push for regional independent beer, I guess that's where we're trying to stand out is we want to be a sustainable regional business. Um, at this stage we have no desire to grow to something that Lion or Carlton are buying, depending on what their plans are in the future. But we really want to create a business that is sustainable and profitable on the Central Coast. Yeah. So I can see that it's the thrill of the chase for you. It's not Mm. necessarily the money. Like obviously Mm. commercially you're interested in trading time for money and and earning some dollars, but it's the thrill of the chase. This is your fourth business that you're now setting up, uh, very entrepreneurial. And and when you talk about what your vision is, it comes back to the community factor you spoke about at Mm. Flower & Co. It's like, well, I want to build a community here for Goons Brewing. They want to be, we want to be the local beer for people on the Central Coast. Is that fair to say? That's totally fair to say. And the biggest thing I've learned about everything is relationships and the relationships I have with my business partners is they all have that exact same value. We've been very open about what we all see Goons turning into 
I guess we all agree we want to just be a bigger version of Flaringo. Yeah. Like something that has more reach, can create more good in the community, can have possibly more financial input into community events and things like that because we're entering a world of higher profit margins and, yeah. and higher financial turnover. Yeah. Okay, so where to from here? You've, you've got a three-year plan and you're, what are you, not even 12 months into that? Mm. Um, so there's some big things to come. Is it your view to have your own uh, premise, your own vats, your your own story, so you don't have to rely on anyone else to rent off and and clean vats for theirs and et cetera, et cetera? Like where where are we going? Yeah, so I guess as quick as I can put it, the three-year plan is to get our own brewery open. That takes a long time. Um, To get something through council like that, I've been warned, can take 12 months. Is that just Uh, our council or uh, any council? Our council because... I've spoke to guys in Melbourne and they can get things open in Melbourne within six months. Wow. Um, due to our yeah, lag here, um, I've been warned it's going to take 12 months to get everything approved and, and that's before you can even start building. Okay. Um, so get the brewery open. Then the next step from there is make sure we're producing our own beer, which then immediately creates a way better profit margin. There's not much profit when someone else is making your beer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So at the minute as a gypsy, mm. uh, what do you call it? Gypsy. Gypsy brewing. So at the minute when you're gypsy brewing, they're actually making it for you. Yeah. You're just- so you're, they're using your recipes. We, we went down, we've been down for a bunch of brew days. Mm. So we're present, but they're not just going to let you loose on their brewing equipment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, definitely not us, but Tom, Tom's actually studying brewing okay. at TAFE and he's actually working in um, breweries at the moment, like yeah. commercial breweries. So he's actually, by the time we build our own brewery, he will, he'll be a commercial qualified brewer. Um, but yeah, so you're basically handing over your recipes and working yeah. with them. They also help you improve your recipes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. So have you got a premise yet? Is that uh, the, the plan to purchase yeah. one or uh, lease one? Lease. We've had, we've had uh, two fall through already yeah. and I've learned that's the roller coaster of leasing commercial real estate. It has to be uh, light industrial, which Im- immediately takes you – to industrial areas Um, and then negotiating with landlords about long leases because if we're going to put $300,000 worth of equipment into this building and renovate the building, you obviously want a long lease. So yeah, it's just finding that right property in the right location with the right landlord. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) interesting. I imagine on this sort of scale Mm. that you're not continuing to reach into your own pockets that you need to maybe go and outsource a little bit. And and you're the third person I'm talking to this week about seed funding and different businesses mm-hmm. and startups just trying to, to, to make their way in, in the world. Tell us about what the plan of attack is there. Yeah. So we, ha- we have a figure in our head of rough budget of what we need. And to be honest, it's pretty conservative. We know that we can do a lot of the work ourselves and save a lot of money. However, we still do need money. So we're going to family and friends for our first round of investment. Between the four business partners, we think we can rustle up what we need between people we know in the community, people that share the same values. We've had interest from larger investors, people who are willing to put in the whole amount, but they haven't shared the same values as us and, they ha- and their vision for the business has been very different. So just learning how to navigate that, that's 
all very new to us. Yeah, so, okay. and, and would you see that the family and friends that have, are getting in in what you would say is the infancy stage mm. would give them some sort of ownership or how does that work from a business model point of view? Yeah, so we're going to be giving up, you know, 25% to 30% ownership of yeah. the business to those people that invest. So mm. we want them to be know that they actually own, you know, a number figure, yeah. a percentage of the business physically and then if anything ever goes terrific, <laughs> mm, right. they know that they were they're in at the start and, and they've got their shares. Yeah, and they're, and they're riding the waves with yep. you, so to speak, aren't they? And that, exactly. Yeah, which is which is fantastic. And and knowing that you're, what what are you, six months into the Six months, yeah. Phase, Since, it's, yeah. It's so early. So early, yeah. Um, um, yep. But it's here to stay by the sounds of it. Like, it, and, and obviously you've got to have that attitude. It's like we're, we're giving it three years regardless mm. um, and if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But there's enough legs to suggest that it's got some traction. Yeah, so we're in like, uh, I, I was checking our stockists the other day. We're in about 30 different venues, probably like 20 bottle shops, 10 restaurants and bars. And I think every week we're getting in another couple stockers. So that growth is showing early signs, especially in financial times like we're in now, mm. which may be a bit tough in a retail market. All signs are pointing to that there is a desire for this brand. The brand is connecting with people. So we just yeah. need to keep building on that. That's great. And when you've got a goal to to be community driven and to, to be the specialist or the, mm. the big players locally, does that diminish the ability to, to take it nationally? Like how, how do you get that balance? Definitely need to be careful in your brand messaging early on. We've been very careful about that. We've been very strong that the branding all says Goons Brewing. And if you're from the Central Coast, you know it's from the Central Coast. Our messaging locally is that we are proud to be from the Central Coast. We are here. But our branding also has left room for growth so mm. that in three years time, five years time, we're pushing into Newcastle and Sydney that Central Coast people know I'm proud, but once you enter those bigger markets, it's not holding you back. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's good. When we were just talking back before about advice for people wanting to take risk or start businesses or I think the biggest thing for people just to remember is everything is relationships mm. and that's the biggest thing I've learned. I mean, I'm only 37 and I've failed a bunch and I've had a few little wins here and there, but I've learned that everything is relationships. Even getting our beer into a bottle shop, it relies on that relationship. Yeah. And I can't urge people that are interested in starting businesses, just get out there and meet people. Mm. Because at the end of the day, people, are, they do invest in you, not always just your product. It's kind of the whole package. Yeah, absolutely. And and you just mentioned there you're only still young. There's a lot of uh, business ideas still to come. Um, but I think this this one, uh, like the ones before it, have definitely got some some legs for for outstanding growth. And 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 the the thing that rings true to me today, talking to you, Tim, is is you mentioned community. It's for you. It's all about what you can give others, not what you can get out of them. Mm. And and I think so many business owners focus on what they can get out of it, not mm. what they're giving um, or what they can sort of give out to people. And proof is in the pudding at, at Flower & Co and I'm sure we'll see it in Goons Brewing is that uh, it pays you back tenfold, doesn't it? Like yeah. it's actually a win-win. You feel good helping other people and meeting new people and being in, an inspiration for others, but mm. they're wanting to help you back the other way. I think that's it. I think um, the harder you focus on money, 
the more elusive the money becomes. Mm. And the focus for us at Flower & Co, especially as a case study, has never been profits. Yeah. Obviously, that is required to be a sustainable business. But I've just always believed that as long as we just kind of stay true to what we're passionate about and talking to people, like I tell people I get... I have the best job because I just get paid to talk to people. Mm. And, rea- and re- in reality, that's what that's all we do in there is we just talk, but um, it seems to be working. Absolutely, it's working. I can vouch for that personally. When there's when there's 10 lining up out the door and they, and they can go and get a quicker coffee somewhere else, mm. you, you're doing something right. So, Thanks, mate. Um, Timmy, thanks for coming on. It's been great to chat to you and, and your journey. Um, hopefully, it's given some inspiration to others out there, whether you're in the middle of a side hustle and not quite getting what you want, just keep persisting. I think that's the, the attitude that you've given us today, uh, knowing that um, what you give out is what you get back. Um, I, I think we've definitely taken that away today but yeah for anyone that's interested in finding out more or following the goons brewing journey uh the, the link will be in the show notes but uh you on instagram timmy yeah just at goons brewing at goons brewing that's where we need to hit it up uh so until next time appreciate you listening in today and allowing us into your ears at home or wherever you may be around the world i'm john pigeon and you've been listening to my millennial money We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respects to their elders past, present and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. My Millennial Money supports a variety of charities, and we encourage you to consider giving as part of your overall financial strategy. If you would like some giving options, or if you're unsure about which charity you can support, head to mymillennial.money forward slash charities for more info. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement, target market determination, and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, and Glenn James are authorized representatives of Money Sherpa Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.